Um, so Mastin, please, uh, if you would share your story with us um, of how you got to be where you are in, uh, in a very concise and um, well-rounded way. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm happy to be here uh, with you today, Rosie, and having this conversation. Mm. Um, it really lights me up uh, to be able to, you know, hear about impact. And, uh, you know, I, I do so much, uh, focus so much on sort of like creating content stuff like that, that it's really nice to just, you know, that book to me is like so old. So when I think about it, I'm like, that's awesome. Like it has a life of its own, which I think is so cool. You know, even though it's only a couple of years old, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. Really, really um, grateful to be here. And um, I mean, if I had to summarize it, like if someone just meet me for the first time, um, you know, if you're interested in living your purpose, if you're interested in trying to figure out why you were born, um, if you're in a place of being stuck and you want to kind of get unstuck or you feel like something's holding you back, you're not sure what it was, you know, that was me. Um, uh, I was in that exact same place. I didn't even know that I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't even know that I had a purpose. Mm. Um, and that, because of that, um, there's a lot of ill effects, addiction, um, codependent relationship, you know, overconsumption of alcohol. You know, um, I was in Los Angeles uh, as a music manager and, and lived that lifestyle. And it, all, it was great and awesome. And they came crashing down uh, early in my, in my early 20s. And um, I started seeking answers. I think like a lot of us do when there's pain. Um, and I started reading personal development material that I had never really read before. And it made me think like, where was this stuff earlier in my life? And so I started sharing it on social and I'll date myself. It's, you know, I started sharing stuff uh, back on like friends during MySpace. you know, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about old school, you know, stop it. Um, hey, we're like the same age. So we're not old. We're just, oh, no, uh, I'm just saying, like I've been doing <laughs> I've had a I've had a, a love affair with personal development for a long time, and so, you know, through that process, uh, you know, I realized I needed to leave my corporate job, and so I quit my corporate job, and have had sort of entrepreneurial blunders for a while, and then that sort of you know enough blunders kind of you stick with it turns into success, and I'm really blessed to have a great um, career now, and I, I primarily uh, I'm a coach and facilitator, really interventionist who helps people really discover the hidden blocks that keep them stuck from that next level that they don't even know that they have. Um, and the benefit of the byproduct of that is living your unique purpose. And that could be in a relationship that could be in a business, um, that could be, you know, as a parent, uh, there's many different ways in which you could live your purpose, but that's really what I do. And, um, I help people do that quickly. A lot of people can come to me and, you know, we get stuff done in you know, a session or two that, or a retreat or two that, you know, some people would work on for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, a, it's a really awesome thing to work with people and help them get to the next level. And, um, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm about and what I do. Yeah, I mean, you you go into your journey at length in your book, uh, which I think every single person who's looking for more grace or to find purpose should read this book because even though you're like, oh, it's so, it's so old or it's, you know, from eons ago, I, it's got a beautiful message in there. And I, I think it really speaks to people who are looking to find that higher power you know, because essentially yeah. that's that's really what what happened, and for you and finding your purpose, because you did love your your past career, like you loved working in the music industry, right? And so now you love being where you're at. How how are you able to find that transition? And I know that your your journey through addiction and recovery has really played a huge role. So for the people out there who 
are in a career or in a place in their lives where they're feeling that, you know, they're feeling stuck or they're feeling like they don't know if they'll find something else that they'll love to do or they're feeling like stuck where they're at, what would you say helped you the most in that transition? Do you mean from like a corporate job into starting a business? Is that what you sure, mean? Sure. Yeah. From like not having a higher power into finding my higher. Well, power? Well, I mean that's there. Well, I guess those there's two different questions, and I guess I I would want to know more of of finding your higher power, right? So like finding that sure. faith. Oof. Um, I mean, I feel like all of us, and I'll speak for myself, have a sense that we're guided uh, by what or by whom or whatever is a different story, but. I think we all have that sort of that sense. And I think, um, you know, uh, my, at least in my story, and I've seen this happen with a lot of people, is that, you know, when you lose track of that sense, that's when things go a little crazy. And when you hit that rock bottom, um, usually that's when you kind of come on your knees <laughs> looking for answers. Um, that literally uh, and metaphorically, you know, you're like, you're just like, dear God, I'm on my knees, I'm praying, just help me that you've, I've never relied on you. Maybe now I can. Yeah. Um, and so I think that uh, typically we find grace and our higher power through crisis, though not all the time. Um, and there was just one day I was listening to this uh, uh, author, speaker, Carolyn Mace, who's amazing. And um, she was talking about surrendering to divine will. And I was so offended by that idea. But there was this little part of me that just said, hey, why don't you try it? See what happens. And uh so I said, okay, I'm a, I'm a scientist, I'll try. And so I kind of said a prayer that was something like this. I said, dear God, um, if you're even there, um, I'm going to, I guess, surrender my life to you for a year. So do what you do, and if my stuff is worse in a year, then I want my life back. <laughs> like, you can, like you can even reason, you know what I mean, with God. Like, like, like who, who, who does that? But that, that was... Um, kind of how it started and it just kind of got better and crazy from there. You know, it was definitely got harder sometimes, but it was way better because, um, you know, when you, when you go on a journey, like, you know, a life changing journey, you got to kind of get rid of certain things and you're going to be growing and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. That's what I found. Mm. Do you think that a spiritual journey requires us to be fully in, or do you think that people can kind of be half in half out? Um, so how should I put this? Like, like there's a a love affair with a law of attraction. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of this idea that like, Hey, uh, if I put it on my vision board or if I have an intention, that's enough. But if you look at how the human being is wired, the human being is not wired for follow through. So, you know, the spiritual path and, you know, any people in general, but the spiritual path for folks is littered with, you know, um, unkept promises to themselves and others. And mm-hmm. I think that there's this manifestation myth that says, like, if I will it, if I make a Pinterest board about it, if I put it on my vision board, drink enough kale, then I'll get it. Um, and I just don't think that's the case. I think I believe in the law of attraction, but I also believe in the law of courage. I believe in the law of working your butt off. I believe in the law of adding value to other people. I believe in the law of growing uh, and earning it. Um, I believe in all those other laws, too. So I think that... Um, you know, what I've seen is that most people are like 98% ready. What that means is like they've made the plans, they have the Pinterest board, they have the, you know, um, the book, self-help bookshelf, they bought some courses, but it's still like they're getting ready to get ready. They actually haven't read it. And if they have read it, they haven't implemented it. 
and the self-help bookshelf, either in the real world or the digital world now, has become like the, the shelf of wishful thinking. And we kind of think that God is like Santa Claus, who's going to bring us these toys that we intend. And I just think that there's got to be a, a reassessment of all this. And like thinking like, hey, you know, you didn't create the universe. You didn't create yourself. You're a miracle. It's a mess. God already did all that work. Like, work your butt off. Come on, let's go. And I think there's a combination of, um, you know, spiritual principles and attraction and visioning, which is important. But I'm a big believer in like 1% meditation and 99% implementation. Mm. Oh, that's so good. It's so true. But, but, and so I would just, the last thing I would say is that like most people are not all in because they haven't had a burn the boats experience. And if you look at burn the boats, it comes from, you know, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. But burning the boats basically means you've got to make a decision that you can't come back from. And if you really believe, you know, in your faith and you really believe in your higher power, then this shouldn't be an issue. You can see what your real faith is based on your actions. So it's like maybe you trust God with, uh, you know, your your parking space, but do you trust God with your rent? Do you trust God with the love of your life? Do you trust God with these other things? The answer is in your your behavior for sure. Mm. Mm, That's so good. It's so true, you know, because so many times we're so tenuous with our decision making, you know, it's like, Oh, here's, here's my attempt to self-help. I bought all the books and I'm just going to sit there and stare at them and not actually take action. You know, yep. um, it's epidemic. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, I saw this video the other day on Facebook, like a, a, a video meme. And it was like this like song called activewear. And it was like all these women in their activewear. And like, they, it was a video about like all the stuff they did in their activewear, except work out, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh. No. <laughs> but it's so true. So yeah, it's kind of like kind of like wearing active wear but not working out. Right. You know? So in saying that, there's so many people out there that they set these really bold intentions and they maybe don't implement them. You know, what is it about the human condition in this day and age? that is keeping us from creating those action steps that you're talking about, because you're saying it and it sounds so motivating and, and you know, the work that you do with people and you work with hundreds and thousands and thousands of people, you know, I'm sure that you work with people where you take the time and you give them all the, the coaching and the advice and the meditation and this practice. And there's people that still don't do it. So where is that coming from? Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. It's kind of like, like, think about like, I like to take things out of personal development and spirituality and put it in a context that other people can understand in a more grounded way. I want you to imagine that you go find like the greatest trainer in Hollywood. Like you go hire Gunnar Peterson who trains the rock, you know, and everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you train with Gunnar six days a week and you pay top dollar and, you know, like you do your thing. But then like every night you go home and you have three pizzas, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you can do the right thing in the wrong order um, and you can, you can do the right thing while concurrently doing things that set you back. Um, it's, I, I believe that it is the job of the trainer or the coach, like someone who's in my position, um, to bring everything. Like I, when I work with my clients, like, that we don't hold anything back. Like I, I like to think that we over deliver and overshare in like our business content, um, you know, in the transparency of how we run our business, you know, whenever, you know, I have a session with my clients, you know, sometimes it's supposed to be for two hours ends up being eight hours. So like, you know, like we really overgive and really do our best to, you know, deliver value. 
at the end of the day, though, there's this thing, this Buddhist idea called karma, which is, you know, basically like what you do. And like my karma is mine and your karma is yours. So what you do with your life will be your karma and you will benefit or feel the pain of the consequences of your choices. And I will do that. I will also do the same thing for me. So there's a really clear line between teacher and student or teacher and client, mentor and client. Mm -hmm. And so early in my career, I would take that on and I would try to like be responsible for other people's um, outcomes. And that was just not a very healthy dynamic. So I became very crystal clear. I even, it's part of our training now. It's like, Hey, Mm -hmm. Like, I ain't doing this for you. And I think it's actually really healthy because we can formulate codependent dynamics without knowing it. So mm. there's that. I think that the students have to know that it's on them. I think that's a really important thing to ingrain, that teachers should ingrain. Now, this shouldn't be done at the expense of not delivering value. So I don't think teachers should say, hey, it's all on you, and it's all you, and you, 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 and I've done nothing wrong. Use it a way to hide. Or, you know, we also not, we, we love criticism and feedback, too. So we don't avoid that. Um, we don't use it a way to justify not delivering value. But I will say that just from an uh, anatomy perspective, the human system is not designed to follow through. I think we're sort of like in between, um, we're in an evolving process right now. And I think the mechanism that's going to help us really be designed to follow through is um, algorithms, machinery, apps, and eventually merging with machine. Um, because if you look at like, you know, how technology is working today, whether it's, you know, you have a subscription to something on Amazon, that's a product that you use all the time, or, you know, there's a, you know, you can schedule different things these days. Um, you know, I use an app to cut myself off from the internet and applications it's called freedom. It's like, it's, digi- it's digital willpower, it's digital follow through. Wow. So the brain, if you look at how we're designed, pretty much we have this, like this, this monkey mind, the limbic system, that's essentially all fight or flight. Right, it's either on or off. You're either in threat or you got to run, right? And so when you're in that place, that's stress, that's fear, um, and that that part of our brain is designed to respond to in the moment threats. So you know, um, is that tiger looking hungry and coming my direction? Um, is there, a, you know, is it, how do I get out of this room if, if there's a a fire? You know, stuff like that. So like we need that part of our mind and brain to exist so that we can become aware of threat. Mm-hmm. The problem is the other part of our brain, that's sort of that neocortex, that prefrontal part, that's really, you know, sort of more it's 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 newer, it's more evolved in the limbic system. That part of the mind is really great at coming up with concepts and intentions and ideas. Like we the mind is designed to be creative a creative engine that comes up with ideas and that's that's part of what has given us besides our thumbs, right? That's part of what has given human beings like this incredible competitive advantage to be like the dominant species on the planet. The problem is we have good intentions, but we default to responding to in the moment threats. So we don't have a proper mechanism in our design to follow through and remember what might be important for us to remember because we're so busy responding. In the moment threat could be a phone call, a text message. It could be traffic. It could be the news. It could be a notification. There's so many other distractions that are coming in. So, so it's really about um, what we teach people is how to use that survival mind to actually follow through whether you want to or feel like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so actually what has to happen is it has to become a threat not to follow through on your good intentions. Mm. And when you can make your good intentions squeak and feel dangerous, that's a really good thing. And it's counter to a lot of sort of popular pseudoscience spirituality that kind of says, you know, thinking about it is enough because it's not. Uh, we have to act. But the thing is, our, 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 our 
our body and our brain is primarily designed to respond to threat. So, for example, um, I was late on a project a month ago, and I said, I have not followed through on this project. I have to get it done. So I said, if I don't get this project done by Friday, then I'm going to donate $1,000 to Donald Trump's campaign. And my entire staff knew about it. My girlfriend knew about it. My, everyone knew about it. My girlfriend's parents knew about it. And they were all on my ass to get this thing done. And so was I. So it became sort of a necessity to follow through versus um, just something that we maybe wish for one day. So when, you know, when your back is against the wall and you've got to come up with uh, a resource or an mm-hmm. answer, you'll yeah. find a way. Wow. It's just most of us, for the most part, are um, you know, comfortable and so we don't move. But the idea is it should make you go, oh, my God, i got to get this done. Right. You know, um, and there's a lot of different follow-through techniques. I also am a big believer that people are so into mindset, and I think mindset is vital. I think you have to protect your confidence and you have to protect your mindset, and you've got to consistently fill your mind with the right information and positive, uplifting information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think your environment is important. You know, there's this phrase that, like, you know, you mold your environment, and then your environment molds you. So if you're in an environment of people who are lower achievers, who are blaming people for why they, they aren't where they are, want to be, or if you're in an environment of negativity or people who don't believe in your dreams, or people who have never started a business, or people who are not on the same wavelength as you spiritually, well, that's going to have an impact on you. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of both that really helps us follow through. One is you've got to be in a growth environment where there's other people who are kicking butt too. Yeah. And the other thing is you have to really have a growth mindset. It's not just one or the other. People think that they can will themselves to change, and I just... That's just not how we're designed. Mm, no, I totally agree. You know, one of my my teacher, Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker, always says that it's the same thing that you're saying. You know, about wanting something or having an intention that's so bold and so compelling that it keeps you and fuels you towards it more than it does keep you focused on your past, right? So it's like. Yeah having that, that drive or that tenacity to move forward. So what, one of the things I want to ask you about in, in particular is this, you know, removing toxic people out of your life, because I think that's so important and it stifles our growth so much and we don't even realize it sometimes. How do we begin to identify that we're in an environment that's keeping us exactly where we're at? Can you give us a couple of, you know, characteristics? Sure. I think, yeah, I think it's a really simple question. Um, over the last six months, has this person situation environment brought me energy or drained my energy? Mm. Um, I think that's probably the best question that you can ask yourself. And if the answer is it's drained my energy, then the next question is, okay, well, how have I participated in that? How have I allowed this? And, um, the answer might be, well, because, you know, I need to work on myself because not every relationship where there's negativity is like, it's not like you're the good one and they're the bad one. Like mm-hmm. usually in every relationship, there's some give and take and some, uh, um, equal truths on both sides. Um, so you might want to look at your side of the track and if your side of the track is clean, well, it might be time to look at exiting the relationship and certainly exiting the current dynamic of the relationship. If your side of the track is not clean, then before you leave a relationship, uh, you need to do your work <laughs> and clean up your side of the track because it's not like, oh, my God, you're so negative. I have to leave you alone. But it's like, okay, well, if you've been contributing to that, chances are you'll find someone else will be just as negative. You know, it'll be like a lateral move. Right. So I think it's important to, you know, look at your 100% of your 50%. Mm. 
Oh, it's so good. How does this apply to teachers, yoga teachers, or spiritual teachers like yourself? How does this apply to people that you work with? Um, well, I think that, uh, if I understand you correctly, um, you know, teachers have a responsibility to be an authority in the room, um, but also, uh, realize that they're not perfect. And if, you know, a client or someone triggers you, uh, well, there's work there for you too. So it's not like the client is wrong and you're right as a teacher. With that said, I think there should definitely be like a, a we don't want transference where there's, you can't tell if I'm your teacher or your friend. Like there needs to be a really crystal clear, you know, mentor, you know, client relationship. Right. But I think, you know, um, I learn best from my clients and I learn in front of them out loud. They know that I'm imperfect and it makes things a lot better. Um, but I think that it's, it's a dedication to consistently learning is a very important process and recognizing that you're not always right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think For that's sure. huge. Now, and what, one of the things I find to be personally interesting about the yoga space is that, you know, yoga is a, is a modality that, that, that teaches, um, you know, uh, flexibility. It teaches, uh, you know, higher consciousness. It teaches, you know, a certain philosophy. And I find it, you know, I, I find it very interesting that, um, you know, there's a lot of yoga teachers who, who think that, you know, just doing an asana or just doing yoga is enough when it's really like the underlying emotion is there. Mm -hmm. And I think that there needs to be like, there's that archetypal passive aggressive yoga teacher. Absolutely. Who's like really pissed off that you're not doing it in the right way at the right time and the right angle when asana means comfortable pose. That's exactly what it means. And you, you know, so I just think, um, there needs to be a level of, uh, you know, compassion and, you know, a lot of people come to yoga because there's trauma, but I think that you got to feel your feelings. You got to give yourself a break. You got to give your students a break and make it an enjoyable class. Um, not something that you, you know, in, inflict this masochistic pain onto your students, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think it's something so huge, especially now with the popularization of yoga as, as just the physical form, Right we can can sometimes begin to lose the the connection or the the magic that actually happens on the mat and utilize it as a form of of connecting to all of those things you know and, and what you're saying like fully feeling your feelings and feeling where you're at but it also doesn't it doesn't mean that you're perfect and it also doesn't mean that the person teaching you is perfect i think it, it's all you know just uh I call it a laboratory of exploration, you know, on and off the mat. So, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I mean, you know, for God's sake, I mean, there have been so many examples of um, yoga teachers who have fallen from grace uh, in the last, you know, five or ten years. And I just think it's like the deification of a yoga teacher to me is just sort of like weird. You know, when you look at like uh, where that came from out of the Indian tradition, like. This is these people who are like from a saintly perspective, but like being able to like you know know anatomy and, and do yoga doesn't make you a spiritual teacher. What makes you a spiritual teacher is you know how you're being in the world. And I mm -hmm. think that the, uh, the 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 deification of anybody is sort of a bad idea. But you know when you think about when you think about yoga, there's eight limbs of yoga, yeah, right. And like one of them is the physical practice of you know of asana. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other ones, and, and the deeper issue, the deeper purpose of of uh of yoga is like oneness or samadhi where everything is home where like you're connected to that higher power so right. i think that there's just a uh there's the, you got i think 
I think it's like, guys, like, don't deify your gym teacher who can be flexible. You know, it's like, like, don't do that. And if someone's a spiritual teacher, you know, then be very responsible in how you, uh, you know, draw the line with your students and how, and how you're able to, uh, you know, have boundaries and, and, you know, be real. I think people who are the best teachers are the ones who are willing to make mistakes in public. Yeah. For sure. I agree. I agree with that 100%. I think it's something, I think especially now it's something that needs to be addressed because we begin to hold some of these teachers in, in high standard. And I see it so much, Mastin. I see so many teachers out there like who, who teach these beautiful things, but out in the world, you know, they're out like, you know, doing drugs with their students or like going out and like, do you know what I'm saying? I haven't heard that, but that's Oh yeah. No, it's real. The struggle is real, my friend. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I just think the, I think the I think the bottom line is like with anybody, whether it's like you know a yoga teacher, someone that does what I do, or politician, an actor, or famous person, whatever. Yeah. Like, don't believe the billboard, and notice how you feel in their presence. Like, do you feel safe? Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel seen, and, and are they humble or not? Do, do you do they do you feel like you can approach them and take what resonates and leave the rest? Because if you the other thing is, is you don't want to like miss the message because of the messenger. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, totally. Like, you want to still, like, learn, and, and everybody has something really um, meaningful to say. Um, so you want to make sure that you can kind of take the good and leave the rest. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. What are you working on currently in your life that you're most excited about? Um, I'm most excited about um, having a live stream studio. Um, it's been something I've wanted for a while. Um, and we finally got all the pieces. And so we're doing like so many more trainings, webinars, you name it. Like we have so many things that we're doing now. Uh, and not only is some of it like recorded, but a lot of it's live and it's just really upped our ability to produce really quality content. Um, and I just, I think it's fantastic. It, I, I feel like my creativity is like going to a whole nother level. Wow. That's so exciting. That's so much fun. Wow. Yeah, it is. Yay! And I know that you were just in Bali not that long ago, right? That's right. Yep. And you were on you were on a retreat, or you were leading, or doing a workshop. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do retreats all over the world. Sometimes it's in Bali, um, and you know we um, we did a writers retreat for twenty eight days, where you write your book in twenty eight days, the first draft, and then we had a two week retreat all about like removing those hidden blocks to your purpose, helping you figure out your purpose, working on relationships, love, passion, romance, uh, goal setting, uh, purpose driven goal setting, all that type of stuff. Plus uh, we use Bali as our seminar room. So we use the Island as a seminar as well. Oh, I love it. I've been uh, for the last two years, uh, spent a month, both times last year, one month, and it was the most visceral, like intense experience of my life. I learned so much. I got, the the most sick that I've ever been in my entire life. Oh yeah, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then this year when I went, it was like completely magical. Don't go without magical. Cipro. <laughs> you what? Don't go. I said, never go to Bali without Cipro and and uh, and uh, Amodium. Yeah, well, should have known that. <laughs> I had no, nobody that warned me. That happened the first time I went too. It did. Oh man, it's intense. And like in a foreign country, you don't know anyone. It's just like. It's so intense, but I'm glad I did. And I, and I know that you go, you've been going for the last uh, couple of years. So, so it's great. Um, so I kind of want to go back to one of the questions I asked a little while ago about the, you know, spiritual path. And then you 
were, uh, the question was, for the people that do have a desk job that want to transition out of their current job and want to maybe explore a new avenue or go into business for themselves. I know that you do a lot of work around this. And so I get a lot of questions for people that listen to this podcast about how to get unstuck or how to make a really big decision uh, and what and what to look for, right? So can you give us any advice or tips on how to do that? Sure. I think, you know, um, I work a lot with people who have like that sort of like mythical six month plan where like six months from now they'll leave their job and then six months comes by and they realize they didn't do it. So they push out six months more and they do it like 10 times in a row <laughs> and you're seeing, you know, like five years has gone by. Um, you know, that's that 98% ready right. where you're, you're just like 98% ready to go. Um, but you haven't gone. Um, and I would just say a couple of things. Um, I would say that, you know, if you, anyone who's paying attention to technology um, the marketplace, uh, how things are evolving right now, it's very obvious that we are in an exponential environment where things are um, being created faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, and so many industries are being disrupted. I saw a statistic recently that says that about 50% of the jobs that exist today will be obsolete by 2025, which is not that far away. Mm. Um, and you just think about, you know, 3D printing and how, like, pretty soon even Uber drivers aren't going to have a job because, like, we'll have automatic cars. So, you know, when you look at, like, all this disruptive technology, a lot of industries are being shaken up right now. So a lot of people are either getting reduced in pay um, or are really nervous about um, their market being disrupted. And I, I know this, like, firsthand because I was uh, part of the, uh, a business that got disrupted first by the Internet called uh, the music business. So I know what that's like when a non-music company dominates the music business called Apple with iTunes, um, which was just, you know, complete, complete disruption. So I know that feels like, so if you're feeling the, the desire to leave, chances are you're probably feeling what's happening in the world today. Um, and you gotta stop giving yourself a six month plan. <laughs> you are lying to yourself. <laughs> if you have a six month plan, um, what I would oh, suggest is, um, oh, good. think about the person that you love most and then imagine there's a gun to their head and you had to, leave your job and replace your income within three months, what would you do? And if you didn't do it, they were gone. Like you would probably find a way to do it in like a week or two. Um, and so it's really about, because we're not going to do that. It's a really graphic example because that's not what we're going to do. <laughs> it's a great make visualization. A it's important, you know, but it's like you got to make, make it a decision that you can't come back from. Like give notice, give your freaking notice, like give three months notice create a transition plan, be willing to train people, like be the best employee they ever had leave, you know, set them, set them up to win. Yeah. But if you give notice and it's real, your nervous system's going to go, Oh my freaking God, we got to get in gear. Let's go. <laughs> you know, something like that where it's a burn the boats decision. That's how you right. do it. There's no like, I'll build my business up and have a great level income and then transition smoothly with no hiccups. Like forget about it. Mm. Burn the freaking boats. And, you know, build the thing as you go. Like, that's what being an entrepreneur is all about. So, um, and also I would say that it's about failing fast and learning. People who are, you know, perfectionists and they procrastinate. And so, you know, in this new economy, in the way that we're moving digitally, people who fail the fastest and learn the fastest and learn from those mistakes the fastest about themselves and how to deliver most value to their clients and their customers, those are the people who are going to win. So, you know, it, you got to you got to basically just rip off the bandaid. There's no other way to do it. Oh, that's so so intense. <laughs> that's so intense. Yeah, but it's like it's like we can either talk about 
some advice that'll make you feel comfortable and I'll right. lie to you and you'll feel all good <laughs> for a moment, but you'll be stuck in your job or we can have a real conversation oh about how to actually do it, you know? Yeah. No, you're totally, you're totally right. So I want to transition a little bit um, and talk about health. So you are a dedicated fitness enthusiast with your early morning cardio workouts, correct? Yes. yes. So, so why is having a routine so important and why does it matter? Um, well, I mean, if you think about your life, this is a great question. Um, your life is basically a, a, a series of routines. Okay. So your routines like are your life essentially. Um, so you got to think of it that way. Um, now, as far as exercise, I think that if you look at anyone who's successful, they have an exercise routine. I'm not a natural exerciser. You know, I was a guy that was like, uh, growing up, I was like, I hate the gym. Like I, I hate, I really just test the gym and kale can kiss my ass as far as I'm concerned. That's kind of like my <laughs> attitude. Um, and I was healthy, you know, like I was, I was in uh, great shape, especially in high school. Like I was an all-star athlete and stuff like that. Then I did drugs in my early twenties and that kind of messed up my internal, you know, systems for a while. Yeah. Um, and then I couch surfed for a while and that was, I kind of was just, I got very lean because I didn't have any food. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, came uh, the success and like seven years of traveling and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I don't know how long it's been, but, you know, I, I started getting some health issues and um, I started getting taking my health pretty seriously. I've invested probably about, I don't know, $200,000 in the last uh, 24 months uh, in different uh, nutritionist trainers, training, doctors, tests, et cetera, mm. um, to really understand my health because there's so much confusion. And uh, I ended up diagnosing myself with prediabetes because I take my lipid profile, which is my cholesterol reading and my glucose reading mm -hmm. uh, every single day. And I was looking at the numbers and I said, these are prediabetic. And I took it to my doctor and he concurred. And that was a really scary moment. It was kind of a wake up call. It was like, mm -hmm. Hey kid, like you gotta, you gotta like get your stuff together. And I'd already been kind of working out and trying to make it happen, but I was just, you know, a year in like not getting a lot of results. And you know, I, I was the person that could like literally do everything, but not lose weight. And now I understood why is a hormone called insulin. Mm -hmm. So, um, for me, uh, I'm sort of in a consistent, I won't say battle, but I would say dance with, uh, insulin and insulin resistance and weight loss. And the more that I can get my insulin levels in check, the better. And they're pretty good right now. Um, and I've also noticed that as a byproduct, there's certain ways that if I eat a certain way, if I exercise a certain way, uh, I have more energy, and if I have more energy, I can pour that into my business. And so there's also like this really great, um, you know, associated professional upside. And I also have more energy for my relationships. So it's like there's like this um, net positive effect where, um, you know, before maybe I was like kind of like hooked, if you will, uh, or craved, you know, sweet food or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Now I crave exercise and I crave, you know, eating well. Not because I have fantastic willpower, but because my nervous system has linked like really great reward to it. And I think that's a really powerful trick or tool that I learned, which is like most people who are like healthy don't have to use willpower to go to the gym because they crave it. And so you got to get to a place where you actually crave it um, and then it can kind of be automatic. And it, it, it's, it, it takes some time, but um, it's, I think it's completely worth it. Mm. So in your recent sort of, uh, assessment of your current state of health now, it's, it's probably propelled you to continue to grow and continue to keep your routine. 
uh, on keeping you on track, right? So has there been a time, well, maybe even in your past where you've fallen off track or fallen off the wagon? (laughs) Uh, uh, 10 minutes ago. I don't know. Um, I think, I think, I think there's, uh, it's not, it's never like a straight line to success. It's a bunch of zigging and zagging. You know, we call it tacking, you know, or like you think about like an airplane, like an airplane doesn't go from point A to point B perfectly. They're going left and right and up and down consistently adjusting. Right. So I think that there's going to always be adjustments. And yes, I fall off track all the time. And I think that it's not so much about not falling off of track as it is like having faster repair tools. Because like oh. when you fall off track, like you could fall off track for six months, six years or six days or six hours or six minutes, you know? So it's like, you know, for me, it's not about falling off track. It's like, how fast can I bounce back and get back into the zone? Because I don't anticipate that I'm so perfect that I'm going to never fall off track. I'm going to be really compassionate to myself when I do and, you know, make sure that I have habits in place to kind of get me back on track. Mm-hmm. And that gets back to, you know, like um, your environment. You know, I live in a, a, a sugar-free home. Like, there ain't no sugar in my house. We got blueberries and bananas and that's it. You know, so, like, that's that's an important sort of just, main choice that we have um so that you know if i do decide to kind of have a day like i it takes time i have to drive into town it takes 15 minutes it's a pain in the ass like it's not easy to do you have um, to really be committed to that yeah exactly exactly so it's it's also setting up your environment so that you know it's healthy so if you've got a bunch of treats laying around like get it out of there you know <laughs> like knock it off <laughs> and i also really advise people I mean, think about how much money people spend on drinks on a weekend or like for a month or a year or shoes or whatever. Um, I think everyone should spend 300 bucks, 500 bucks, go on Craigslist, get a used pre-core machine or a used uh, treadmill mm-hmm. and just have it and wake up and do like 30 minutes to an hour of easy steady state cardio in the morning on an empty stomach. It's a great way to wake up and get your blood flowing and then do three minutes of jumping up and down on a rebounder to get your limb system going. It's a fantastic start to the morning. Yeah, I think, yes, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think it's important for people to know also that, like, we're all human and we all have those moments of, you know, wanting something or, like, desiring a tree or, like, something happens and it's, like, it's okay to to do that, but it's not okay for you to really beat yourself up about it afterwards or if it's something that you're trying to cut out completely and be, like, oh, it's okay, I can have a little bit of sugar. It's, like, no. Sure. Look, I'm a sugar addict too, Mastin, so I can totally, totally relate, right? So we're on the same exact boat. This is a sugar-free house. Like, yeah. And I just had my little 18-year-old sister move in uh, uh, two months ago, and it's like no sugar in the house for her. She's like, what did I ever do to you? You know, it's like, so, you know, I, I feel bad, and I see it kind of creeping into the house with, the, you know, like little treats and things that she gets, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, ah, I'm like just, just sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? This is a choice, and I feel so much better not having it and it I don't even totally. think about it anymore you know but it took a while for me to get to that point and, and I think to speak back to your point to what you're saying is that it's not a straight line and you know it does take a little bit of time you know things don't happen overnight I think that that's why diets fail don't you because everything it's like oh here 30 days like it's gone like lose weight in two weeks or in seven days lose 60 pounds and it's like yeah. all these things it doesn't, it's a, it's a, it's a process. Like it doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's true. I mean, I have such a, uh, um, love hate relationship with the fitness industry. Um, 
And for a long time, I was like, you know, screw the fitness industry. You know, everyone has like their thing and everyone's trying to just sell me like a program because I was so disenfranchised with like my results. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was actually in my research, uh, I, I, whenever I have a problem and I know that I have a problem, like when you know you have a problem, it's a great moment because then you know like what to do to solve it, you know? Um, so I always find the best people. So like I found the best people who knew about this topic of, called insulin resistance and weight loss. And so it was a, um, a real conscious choice to find these people. And what I found was, is that, you know, let's look at like the calorie restriction camp, right? Like you do need to eat less calories than uh, you burn to lose weight. It, it, there is a level of that of truth there. However, let's go look at like the, uh, the paleo camp, right? So it's like, and, you know, blood sugar has a big, has a lot to do with it. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, taking in tons of carbs, you know, um, well, that's gonna, that's gonna mess up your blood sugar levels. But then let's go look at like the training side and like look at high performers, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a bodybuilder or an athlete. And it's like, well, hold on a second. I can't go ketogenic because if I go ketogenic, I'm not going to have any glucose or ATP. I'm going to pass out. Right. So I, it's not like I can just like eat like, you know, bacon and butter all day long and be a high performer. You know, that's yeah. not really how, cause and, and by the way, people who are like, Oh, you could burn on ketones. It's like, yeah. Ketones are your body's last resort before death and how to utilize energy with the body, right? So it's like that's not really something to be proud of long-term. By the way, if you smell someone's breath, who's on the ketogenic diet, like, please. But there is truth in intermittent fasting, like, and, and there's a lot of truth in that as well. Then let's look at yeah. the vegans, yeah. right? Well, first of all, don't tell me you're a vegan if you eat Trader Joe's vegan cookies. Like, you're not a freaking vegan, right? No way. Like, traditional vegan is all about you know, anti-inflammatory foods um, and foods that don't produce you know, inflammation um, and stuff like that. And you look at like that world, it's like, yes, there needs to be a reduction of inflammation. The thing is, you have to look at it as a holistic approach. You know, the thing about functional medicine is that functional medicine looks at the body as a whole versus trying to diagnose a part of it. Well, I think that the fitness industry needs a shift in perspective to understand that, well, actually, hold on a second. Every one of you is onto a piece of the truth but it's kind of like we got to combine everything together into one holistic model that includes, uh, an, you know, um, anti-inflammatory foods. It includes specific calorie restrictions, but like not going crazy. It includes understanding that you know there's a proper use of carbohydrates for for, for fitness and performance. Um, and depending on when you have them, you know, you will either gain weight, uh, gain fat, or not. Um, there's a, a certain level of intermittent fasting that's necessary. Um, to lower blood sugar levels, but it's not the best way to be long-term because it alters performance issues. Um, and there's also the hormone level of like, hey, the master hormone in the body that controls uh, fat loss is insulin. Uh, you know, insulin regulates ghrelin and leptin and the hunger hormone and all that type of stuff. So, you know, and when there's elevated insulin, there's also elevated cortisol. If there's elevated cortisol, then cortisol pulls blood sugar um, uh, and just keeps the blood sugar ready because, you know, you're in that fight or flight state where you got to move. But if your insulin's too high, then you just store the blood sugar as fat. So there's also the stress component mm-hmm. of, like, you need to calm the, calm the tech down, you know. And there's also the sleep component. And then there's also the hydration component. Ugh. So it's like th- there's, a, there's, a, there's a well. And then there's also the, um, uh, you know, the gut component of, like, how is your microbiome right. and how's your brain, you know, how's your brain health. So, so weight loss is a um, imbalance in the body that has lots of different elements to it. Um, and you don't also just look at weight loss, but it's like long-term weight loss because 
do you lose the weight and then gain it right back? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a hormone. Your, your, your insulin levels and your hormones are like a thermostat, and so you can go up a little or down a little, but if you have a hard time busting through, you have a hormone imbalance, and your body is, is, has, has, has leveled off hormonally to whatever weight you're at. So like, there's a lot that goes into weight loss beyond just like, you know, exercising and eating, you know, greens or something, yeah. you know, like it's like, there's a lot that goes into it. So every, I think that like every person out there, um, has a slice of the truth. And part of what I'm committed to doing in like my next book, not saying the power book, but the, my third book, um, is, you know, having a conversation about like a holistic approach to health, because there's lots of different things you got to look at, not just one marker. Oh, if that I makes any sense. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, coming, I'm, a nutritionist and do holistic health. I mean, it's everything that you're saying is exactly right. There's so many components. There's also the mental and emotional and, you know, all of those things. I mean, all, everything, like it all matters and it all plays a role. And it's, you know, it's that idea that it's the bio-individuality, right? It's like one person's food is another person's poison. So, so thank you for sharing that. And I can't wait to read that book. I think it's something that I know I can't wait to write it. I mean, like literally (laughs) like now we're all just going to be like twiddling our thumbs waiting for you to, to do it. Um, so one of the things I I want to talk to you about, and I want to be respectful of your time here. So I only have a couple more questions. Um, why do you think it's important for us to do things that make us feel uncomfortable? Um, that's a good question. I, 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 I just, that's a, that is a simple but profound answer. Yeah. Um, what makes human beings happy is um, growth and um, contributing to something larger than ourselves. Mm. Um, in order to grow, you have to take risks. And taking risks is uncomfortable because you're stepping in the unknown. So, um, in order to grow and be happy, you have to grow. In order to grow, you have to take risks. In order to be, take risks, you have to be uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, it's so scary, isn't it? Sometimes it's so scary to like even say it because I'm like, oh, it's just. But but you're right. I mean, those those are the moments when we push through that resistance. When we when we explore a new, you know, landscape. You know, we can we can really push from that. So thank you for sharing that. Why do you think that people make the same mistakes? Um, because they, um, how should I put this? They, they, there's a, uh, at least 51% of them, uh, likes where they are, likes making that mistake. There's something, there's a, there's a, there's a, a payoff or a reward for making that mistake over and over and over again that keeps them safe. Like a brain response or like a, an addiction sure. type yeah, of quality? I, I, would, I would call it. Um, the term I use uh, is called survival pattern. Survival pattern is an unconscious and irrational fear based on past trauma mm. that prevents you from moving forward. Oh, I see. So it's usually a fear that you don't know that you have um, that's keeping you stuck for reasons that you aren't exactly sure of. <laughs> uh. um, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. so that's why you know working with like an interventionist or a coach or something like that is really important because. Um, you know, we can help identify those patterns quickly and help you move beyond them. Um, a lot of people don't know why they do what they do. So it takes usually an outside lens to do that because we all have blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. This is about radical transformation. So to see far, we have to be willing to first look close, right? So in what area of your life have you chosen to look closer? I think I'd have to say um, my health for sure. Mm. 
Um, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, uh, it would be health. Uh, really looking closer at my metabolism, looking closer at what, um, you know, uh, I uh, put in my body, the effects that it has, like all that type of stuff, like my biochemistry, for sure, has been my, uh, my number one focus. Mm. What area in your life do you feel the most free? The most free? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I don't I want to give a valuable answer. I, I've never felt more free. I feel like, and I think, it, I think every, I think, you know, when you get one area improves, every other area improves too. Um, I would say that, you know, we recently set up this live stream studio. So in this moment, I'm feeling particularly free in my creativity, which is really exciting. Um, but that makes everything else better too. But, you know, being creative is, is a big deal. And so I feel like I can do a lot more than I used to be able to do, which is super awesome. Oh, I love that. That's so good. What has been the biggest lesson in your life and who's taught you the biggest lesson if it's a person? Um, <laughs> Lord. Um, it's like I saved the big, deep questions for the end. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the most important lesson. Uh, my goodness. Um, I would say the most important lesson I've had to learn and the lesson I learned consistently is to always follow your intuition. Mm. Like, even when it seems crazy or irrational, to, like, really be there. And I think that there have been a lot of relationships I've had, um, you know, business partnerships, friendships, whatever, yeah. ended in a way that, you know, I would not have preferred uh, earlier in my life. And a lot of that came from not following my intuition and not listening sooner. Um, I think there's a lot of pain that comes from not following your intuition. And so... Um, how should I put this? Um, pretty much all major lessons in life come back to that one lesson. Mm. Okay. Okay. What are some words of wisdom that you live by? That I live by? Yeah. Can I cuss on this? Of course. A hundred percent. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So uh, my clients and I all have this sort of like this phrase that we use that I think is also, like, the best attitude in the world. So, like, when you ask yourself, like, what should I do? You know, um, how do I do this? I don't know what to do. Like, if you're ever in that place, um, it's a great piece of advice. Um, also, it's just a great piece of advice in general. And it's just this, fuck it. <laughs> should I start my business? Fuck it. Right? Right. Should I go to Bali? Fuck it. You know, that, that, that's, that's kind of how we look at things. And literally the clients who are most successful have that attitude of just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I love that. <laughs> so, that's so appropriate. We'll start a new hashtag. Um, hashtag fuck it. Great. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So I'm going to get, get ready to ask you the final question. So part of this uh, podcast and what I do is uh, this whole idea that you know we are all connected, we are all um, supported by universe source or uh, God of your understanding or you know Mother Nature or whatever your higher power is, right? So it's this idea that we are all radically loved. We're all radically supported by everything around us. The universe, the universe conspires for us. So. The question is, yes. um, how do you feel radically loved and what do you radically love? Um, that's a great question. I think 
oh man, that's so deep. <laughs> trying to come up with an answer. Um, I think I think for me, feeling radically loved is like when I'm around people who are excited, mm-hmm. um, and not just excited, but people who are like 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 who are excited to be innovative and to grow and to you know implement and to you know really do things like they're they're really they're doing stuff. Um, yeah. That make I just I love I love the that energy it's really infectious. Um, and then what do I what do I radically love? I mean I radically love Jenna, um, mm-hmm. my girl. Um, I love our clients. I love my purpose, uh, myself, uh, my family. Uh, I'm very grateful for my higher power. Um, yeah, I think I mean there's so many things, but if I had to choose one thing, it would, it would be my girl. Aww, that's so <laughs> she's, romantic. She's, 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 well, it's true. I mean, she literally, like, my life would absolutely be worse off without her. Mm. That's so great. Mastin, thank you so much for everything that you do in the world, all the light that you bring, and for this purpose that you have to bring love and radical transformation and fulfillment to every single person that comes into contact with you. You got it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure to be here today. It's been a great, great conversation. Where can we find more information about you and what you're doing or any future retreats or trainings or coaching that you're doing? Sure. Everything is over at Mastin, M-A-S-T-I-N, Kip, K-I-P-P.com. And right now, let's see, it's kind of laying low. I mean, I have, I have, I think the big news is uh, September 12, 2017, uh, my book, Claim Your Power, comes out, okay. which is all about um, how to find your purpose, how to find your unique purpose. There's a, Also, we talk about how to discover these hidden blocks that are preventing you from going to that next level, the combination of those two things. So if you feel stuck, not sure why, um, and you want to live your purpose, like that's really what the book is all about. Uh, so super excited about that. Oh, that's really exciting. Maybe we'll have you back on, and you can tell us all about it. Awesome. Yay. You got it. Thank you, Thank you Mastin. so much. It's been a great conversation today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit www.radicallylove.com forward slash podcast to read all about today's guests or past guests. You can click on any of the links or for more information, you can always follow me on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or Twitter at Rosie Acosta and let us know what you thought.